what if, that, what if that's true? What if God really is mighty to save? What if God really can reach out to the lost? What if the love of God can actually redeem broken lives? What if the mistakes you made don't need to separate you from the love of God that has come to us in Christ Jesus our Lord? What if our church could make a difference in the lives of children who are growing up in homes that are broken and distraught? What if God can strengthen your marriage, give you a new purpose for your job? What if the Lord can equip you with the skills you need to be the person he needs you to be to shine your light in the world? What if? I have a question for you today. It's this. What does a human being, what does the human creature need to survive? What does the human creature need to survive? It's the same today as it has been in all of time. We basically need three things to survive. We need food, we need water, and we need shelter. And we need each of those three. You could have a warehouse full of food and a clean, warm place to sleep, but if you don't have water, you're not going to live very long. You can have all the food and water you want, but if you're in the middle of Antarctica or in the Sahara without shelter, you're not going to make it very long. And water and shelter alone aren't enough to sustain you. The human creature needs food, water, and shelter to survive. But if you and I think about it, we would all have to agree that survival is not enough for the human creature. In other words, if it were just about providing food, water, and shelter, then why would we have the problems that we have? Why would there be unhappiness or loneliness or anything else? It may be that we just need food, water, and shelter to survive, but I don't know about you. I'm not concerned about my survival as much as I am my thrival. So the second question I have for you is, what does a human creature require to thrive? To be more than just fine, to be more than just survive, but to thrive, what does the human creature need? And I think here, we've come to a lot of places of disagreement. In fact, most of what we argue about in our culture and in our world is over that question. What does the human creature need to thrive? Some people would say, well, we need to have a certain type of school, certain type of school reforms. We work in the schools a certain way, the human creature will thrive. Some people say it's about diet or fitness. And if we were to eat the right sort of food or exercise the right sort of way, maybe we would begin to thrive. Other people say it's uh, the right political leadership. This is a big argument in our culture. I was reading this week just about the estimates for how much this upcoming presidential election will cost. Hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, perhaps over a billion dollars. And the reason it costs so much is because there's people who passionately believe that the right political leadership of some sort or another will cause at least Americans to thrive. That's the idea. Or maybe it's more personal. Maybe for you, maybe you're single and you think, what I need to thrive, I just need to have the right spouse. I need to have the right boyfriend or girlfriend. I need to get married to the right person. Or maybe you're married and you're thinking, gosh, maybe I married the wrong person. And that's part of the problem. And if I had married the right person, then I would be thriving. Or maybe, and this is a big thing in our culture too, how much money you have will determine whether you thrive or not. And so the more you have, that's what our commercials tell us at least, the more you have, the more you're likely to thrive. If we're honest about that, we know that that, of course, doesn't really work. Because we know lots of people, and maybe this is true for you or true for me, 
we have enough to pay our bills, but we're not really thriving. There's something, there's something missing. What does the human creature need to thrive? Last summer, my wife and I and son went away on vacation, and we came back home, and some friends of ours from the church had done some landscaping around our house, and it was awesome. We were really surprised to see it, including a few rose bushes, including one at the bottom of our driveway. Now, it's Dallas, and it's hot, and I'm telling you, there has never been a rose bush in human history that was watered more than I watered that rose bush. I, mean, I just drowned the poor thing. I just watered it all the time. But if you go to my front yard today and look at the little rose bush, you know what you'll see? A little stumpy rose bush that's just barely making it. No buds. It's not beautiful. It's not really producing anything. It's alive. In other words, it's surviving, but it's not really thriving. See, I wonder if a lot of us are like that with our lives. I, I wonder if, if, if so many of us are doing, and I find this all over our culture, we have something, and it's not really thriving. And so we say, you know what, we need to add more fertilizer of some sort or another. You know, if, if I lost some weight, then I would thrive. If I made more money, if I had another job, if I had a certain type of reputation, I married this sort of person, I looked this way, drove this car, learned this language, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. If I could add that, then I would begin to thrive. It's like adding more fertilizer. Or, or in society, we say, you know, if we had better mass transit or or a different political leadership, or better school system, or we legalized drugs, or we didn't legalize drugs, whatever it is, we say we're just going to add more. It's like adding more and more water and fertilizer to a plant. I know almost nothing about agriculture and botany, but I know this. You can add all the fertilizer and water you want, but if the plant is in the wrong type of soil... It won't ever thrive. I'd like to suggest to us today that in a way we're, we're in cultural soil that can't nourish us. That doesn't provide the nutrients our roots need. And so no matter how much extra we add on, we're never going to really thrive. We could spend all the quality time we want with our kids. We can take the right sort of vacations. We can supplement their after-school homework. We can make sure they only watch the right sorts of movies, read the right sorts of books. But unless the soil is right, it won't really lead to thrival. Now, I know we have all different sorts of people here today. We come from all different sorts of backgrounds and different belief systems. But what if? What if what the human creature needs, what if the right ecosystem is not something that we have to invent, it's not something new, what if it's something that God has provided for us? What if, in fact, the church's message is not a message of right and wrong, don't do that, do that? And what if God is not so much concerned about, about looking down on us and telling us when we're doing the wrong thing, what if God's whole heart for his creation is that it thrive? And what if, in fact, God has provided a way for us to thrive? I want to look today at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament. In fact, it's in the Torah, the first five books of the, of the, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is like Moses' final farewell address to the Israelites' people. They've come out of 
Egypt and slavery. He's brought them through the Red Sea, and now they are in the desert, about to go into the promised land. The Ten Commandments have been given to them. God has said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And here Moses offers a farewell word or parting advice to his people. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's a very, very famous passage. This is Moses speaking. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. He's referring to the Ten Commandments and some other things that have been given to them previously. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And in this famous verse, it's called the Shema among Jewish folks. And it's known as that because the first word, hear or listen, in Hebrew sounds like Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. May God add his richest blessings to the reading and hearing of this word. Let's pray. Lord, I know for me, in my house, we don't want to just survive, we want to thrive. Lord, I don't want to just get by. I want to live the abundant life that you came to bring us. To that end, Lord, this morning, take my words and speak through them. Take our thoughts, Lord, and think through them. And take our hearts and set them afire for you and for your world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The human creature needs the right sort of soil, so to speak, to thrive. And I'd like to tell you today that what I believe the right sort of soil is, is a relationship with the God that's come to us through the scriptures that came to us in Christ Jesus our Lord, the one who says, I am the Lord your God. I believe that that kind of relationship is the ecosystem that we need to thrive in. And I'd say again, no matter what else we add to our lives, apart from that soil, we're never going to thrive. And I'm just wondering today what sort of soil you're in. How are you being nourished? What are your roots being fed by? See, this is a very famous passage for good reason. It sort of sums up God's message to his people, his people Israel. Hear, O Israel, it begins in verse 4. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And impress these truths on your children. When my son was about a year old, one of his first things to do to pretend was to take anything he could get his hands on, a banana, a race car, whatever, and he would pretend like he was talking on the phone with it. 
Now, why do you think he did that? Because he saw us talking on the phone, and he began to imitate our behaviors. What is it that is so visible in your life that your kids can't help but imitate it? And if you don't have children, what is it that is so visible in your life that other people without even knowing a whole lot about you would know that this is important to you? See, Moses tells his people, this is so important. I need you to impress it on your kids. I need you to talk about it when you lie down and when you get up. I need you to write it on your hands, on your foreheads, and put it on your door frames. I grew up in Virginia, and I didn't uh, know really any Jewish folks when I was in school. I think there was uh, one Jewish kid in my high school. But I went to college in New York City, and I met to, uh, got to know a lot of Jewish folks, including Orthodox folks. And if you had the eyes to see as you walked down one of our dorms, you could see up in the corner a little scroll above their door frames where the Orthodox Jewish kids live. Because they took this literally. And for them, one of the things it meant to be good and holy was to put the commandments above their doors. What is it that you have above your door, so to speak? What is it that your kids are going to do without even knowing it? Listen, I hope you have a favorite college football team. I hope you care about your job. I hope you return emails promptly. I hope you return your voicemails promptly. I hope you care about the maintenance of your house. I hope you're plugged in with whatever cultural things that lift you up, movies, books, television. But are those the things, and it doesn't matter what it is, you pick it. Are those the things that your kids think are most important? Is that what you're impressing on your children? Maybe it's even something that we might might even all agree would be good, like trying hard in school, working hard, getting the right grades, grades, saying yes ma'am and no sir, having a certain sort of manners. Those things are good things, don't get me wrong. But those things cannot be the primary thing. And I wonder with so many of us if if we're not replacing the primary thing with something secondary, which again leads us to being less than God has created us and is calling us to be. I'd like to say that what the human creature really needs is to be in the right environment. An environment where God is worshipped. Where this command to hear what the Lord is commanding is taken seriously. How seriously do you take that command to hear about the commands of the Lord? Are you, are you putting in your, yourself in a place where you can hear where you can meditate on those things. I like to suggest that what our children need, in fact, is what, what we all need, is to be in a sort of soil that's nurturing us in a certain way, that's nurturing us to love God, to follow the commandments, to know the Lord our God that brought us out of Egypt, as it says in the scriptures. What environment are you currently planted in, so to speak? Earlier this summer, we were on vacation, and like all first-time parents, we originally said, oh, we have a little two-year-old son, we're not going to let him ever watch TV. Yeah. <laughs> we also said he wasn't going to have sugar or candy, et cetera, et cetera. You know where that's ended up. So earlier this summer, 
he was watching some little public television cartoon. I mean, not a scary cartoon, like a little dumb PBS cartoon. And he came running down the hall crying. And he was crying because there was a robot in the television show. And for whatever reason, he was scared of the robot. It wasn't a scary robot, but he's two and he doesn't understand. He was scared of the robot. The whole rest of the time we were on vacation, he was scared to go into his room at night because of the robots. And we had told them two things. We told them, one, and there are no robots. Number two, robots are nice, which is a little bit of cognitive dissonance. <laughs> but he's two, okay? There are no robots. Robots are nice. And for two weeks, whenever he went to bed, he would say that to himself. Do all know robots? Robots are nice. Do all know robots? Robots are nice. And he might, he would just, Daddy, you know, in the middle of the day, do all know robots? Robots are nice. Which you're right, Jack. There are no robots, and robots are nice. <laughs> but it strikes me in a way that he was doing exactly what I believe God needs us to do with our children which is to teach them certain things that they're repeating to themselves over and over again. See, out in the world, the truths of the scriptures are not considered true. And out of the world, the Lord is not considered God or not considered good. And out in the world, what the scripture teaches about material possessions is not validated. And what our children need from us is to be taught certain things that they can then repeat to themselves, so to speak, when they find themselves in a place of danger or of fear. In the early church, like way early, like in the first few centuries when the Christians were in the Roman catacombs, before you could become a Christian, you had to go through a three-year process called catechesis. It's related to the word catechism. Maybe you've grown up with that word. Catechesis it was a three-year process. and It was a process of training, of formation. Before you could even be baptized, you had to really be trained to become a certain sort of person. Just as before you can go off to war as a Navy SEAL, you're trained for years before you play your first football game, you're trained. And the same way, that was what happened in the early church. It was called catechesis. Here's what I found real interesting recently. Catechesis and the word echo had the same Greek root. Catechesis, this formation of a Christian, and the word echo had the same Greek root. In other words... All we're supposed to do in one way is just to echo back what somebody has taught us. What the saints and the martyrs died to pass down to us, it is our job to pass it on to the next generation and our children. And the better the echo, the more faithful the echo, the more God will be glorified, the more Christ-like we'll be, and the more that God's will be, will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. And I love that story of my little son. They all know Wobots. Wobots are nice. Because when he grows up, I want him to echo back the same things that we have taught him here through this church and through our household. I want the children in our neighborhood and in our schools to be able to echo back to us the, the deep truths of the faith. Because I believe without, apart from those truths, we're like people planted in the wrong type of soil. But in the right type of soil... I believe we can flourish. See, I think the way often we think about church and the faith is backwards. We think that God says to do a certain thing and if we don't, we're in trouble. I think it's the exact opposite. 
I think God wants us to thrive so badly that he's given us guidelines, foul lines, tracks, guardrails, pick your metaphor, so that we won't stray off, we won't go to the wrong type of soil, but stay in the place in which we can be nurtured, in which we can thrive. And the truth is, with our kids, the most important thing we can do as parents is to share the deep truths of the faith with them. To share Jesus Christ, so to speak, around the kitchen table. That's the most important thing we can do as parents. Listen, I hope my, my son says yes, sir, and no, sir. I hope he works hard in school. I hope he fulfills his promise with the gifts that God has given him. But what I most want for him is to be somebody who loves the Lord, his God, with all his heart, soul, and strength. Because I believe then, regardless of what happens, regardless of where his life takes him, he'll be able to thrive. What about you? What do you want for your kids? What do we want as just people for the children in our community? So today, we are launching what we're calling our D6 ministry here at Munger Place. D6 comes from Deuteronomy 6, what we've just been reading about. We love the idea of Moses telling the Israelites, hey, listen, when you're at home, impress these things on your children, verse 7. Talk about these things when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Because we know that unless we equip our families to teach the truths of the faith to their kids, they're not going to learn them. You know, if, if a kid comes to Sunday school just one hour a week, but there's no reinforcement at home, think how many other hours of the week the kid is somewhere else. So our job is really to equip the parents and the families in our church to be able to teach these things to their kids. So our D6 ministry is what our kids' ministry is going to now be called. And the tagline is charging families to bring Jesus Christ to the kitchen table from Deuteronomy 6. And rather than calling our building an education building, because we're not just about education or something else, we're going to call it our D6 building. Because we want to always keep in mind what we're trying to do. And I hope we have guests every week who say, why do you call it that? And we'll say, well, because it comes from Deuteronomy 6. And what we're trying to do is charge our kids, or charge our families rather, to bring Jesus Christ to their kitchen table. And I believe you have a role in our D6 ministry. If you pull out our bulletin, there's just some simple next steps from our sermon. The second one down here says, will you teach me? Nick Bunch and Matt Toomey have been working the last uh, several months with our kids' band. Now, they're great guys, but I think they'd be the first to tell you that they don't know everything about the Bible. They don't know everything about the Scriptures. They're not the most gifted musicians in the world. Matt has three school-age kids and a full-time job. Nick has a full-time job and two baby twins who have just been born. And yet every Sunday morning, they're here trying to help our kids and prepare a band to lead us in worship today. They've been here this week or in the evenings and last week in the same way. The first thing that you can do today, and I don't know who it's going to be, but I believe God might be calling some of you. You can step up and respond to this question, will you teach me? See, what our children need is not just adults at home. A lot of our kids don't even have that, and they're going to need caring adults here at church as well. Maybe God is calling you to step up, and with exactly what you have, which may not be much, you may not know a lot of the scriptures, you may not feel particularly gifted at the role, maybe God is calling you to step up and to be involved in our D6 ministry to teach our children about the Lord their God. 
That's one way that maybe God is calling you to step up. Here's another one. We're committed not just to the kids in our church, but to the kids in our community. I see myself as the pastor for this community, whether or not the people come to the church doors or not. And we're partnering this year with an organization called Big Hope to mentor at-risk kids at Robert E. Lee Elementary. One hour a week during the school day. One kid, one mentor. A lot of us have already stepped up. We'd love to have you step up too. It's not too late. You can contact Brian Walker in there for that. And then there's one other thing I'd like to just highlight to you. This fall, in partnership with Highland Park Methodist, we're having a D6 dad's ministry. We just think that it's the role of a dad in the family is just so important and so many of us just feel so inadequate. We're going to try to equip you a little bit. There's information in that, how you can do that. I'll be teaching some sessions at the end of September and in early October. Now, this new building that we have, this building is not the point. Let's never mistake that. We needed more space. We need a place over there. As you'll see this morning, we have a little stage set up with uh, sound and lights equipment so we can have a kid's band and a middle school band and a high school band, which is going to be awesome. But the building is not the point. Our building is just a tool. To continue the metaphor, the building is just like a, a new shovel. We need to dig the right way and garden the right way, but until the soil is the right soil, the plant will never look like this. But there's a point in which the soil, if it is right, growth and green leaves and the right kind of produce are almost inevitable. But listen to this. I've said that kids need to be in a certain type of soil. They need to be raised a certain way. That's true. But the truth is, people aren't plants. When you plant plants, as far as I know, they stay where they're planted. But people don't. We're free creatures. In fact, you know how inevitably we use that freedom? To turn away from God. But as it says in the communion liturgy, when our love failed and we turned away, our God remained steadfast. The most important thing, in fact, that a child needs and that you and I need as adults is not just to be in the right soil, but we need the grace of God. See, what if the message of the church was not do this or do that? You better love the Lord or else. What if the message of the church was that God was so committed to the world, or as it says in John 3, 16, he so loved the world that he gave his child, his only son. What if the grace of God has come to us in Christ Jesus our Lord, which means regardless of the gap between your parenting skills and what God needs you to be, regardless of what kind of mistakes you've made in your life, regardless of how far you've walked the wrong way, regardless of our kids' predilection to wander away from the good soil, we have a God who never gives up on us, who won't even let sin and death separate us. That kind of environment, that kind of love, that kind of soil, a soil just saturated with grace, is the sort of environment that truly causes a human to thrive. We love, as it says in 1 John, because God first loved us. The only reason it is possible for us to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, and strength is because God has first shown us what love is like. 
on the cross. Psalm 1 says this. It's a beautiful psalm. It's one worth memorizing. It says that the person who meditates on the law of God is blessed. Blessed are those who do not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of the mockers, but who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law day and night. It's like Deuteronomy 6. See, because they are like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. The living water that Jesus comes to bring is the water that we really need. And it means regardless of what the external circumstances are like, regardless of what stakes, mistakes you've made in life, regardless of what, how much you desire and how much you've committed sin, regardless of how much brokenness is behind you, regardless of what comes, disease, bankruptcy, betrayal, roots that are in the living, gracious water of God mean that regardless of what happens, we can thrive and prosper. And even when we die, roots that are sunk into the gracious soil of God can come to new life again. And my prayer is that God will use our church as that sort of environment that neighborhood kids and your kids and kids we've never even seen before will be nurtured in this way and that they can thrive and become the men and women that God is calling them to be, mighty in the Lamb, like strong trees with deep roots in the living water. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may God, who has begun a good work in us today, be faithful to complete it. Amen.